I would agree with John. If you're a part of this church, you're more than just a part of Community Alliance Church. We're part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which is a large evangelical denomination around the globe. 2,005 churches here in the United States, over 10,000 overseas. One of the best events that the Christian and Missionary Alliance does is that conference. Every three years, thousands, literally seven to 10,000 at one point, six to 5,000 at other occasions, gather together every three years for an incredible experience with God. Thousands have come to faith in Christ, have decided they're going to follow Jesus, as we sang about this morning, going to serve him in a variety of different ways at a life conference. Coming up next summer, we're going to be there. We have students already signed up for that. See Eb, see Beth, talk to somebody. If you've got a student who is in 8th grade to 12th grade, they do not want to miss that event. I'm serious. They do not want to miss that event. So make sure you encourage them to come. You have sermon notes in your bulletin. Take them out. They look like this for fall colors so that you'll know what it is. Every day is like looking at a postcard, isn't it? The last few days, everything finally started to turn. I always seem to start with questions. I'm not sure why, but do you have anybody in your life or do you know anyone who is always using phrases like this? Man, when I finally... Wow, I can't wait to... As soon as I get that, when I finally get there, and then if you know anyone who has actually gotten there or gotten that or acquired that, and then you watched their life and they didn't somehow seem satisfied. They said it was going to. If I do that, if I get that, if I get there, if I get that, if I go there, I'm telling you, I'll finally be happy. We guys tell our wives that all the time about things we're going to buy. If I, honey, honey, all I need is one more. How many guns do you have? Well, not enough. So how many more do you need? You know, I mean, whatever it may be. I need a newer truck. I need a newer car. Whatever that may be. And then when we get there, we find out that it's not all that we thought it was going to do. Big deal over the last number of months was the lottery. Now, let's not deny it. We've all heard about it. Even if you didn't play it, and if you did, you probably said to yourself at some point or the other, I promise I'll give half of it to the church. If I win that billion dollars, I'll give half of it, whatever. You know, so we've all talked about that, and everybody at least probably had a conversation of some kind in their mind. If I got that, if I won that, if I was acquiring that, I'm telling you, that's what I'd do with it. It would change my life. Did you know that statistically over 70% of the people who win the lottery go broke? And almost over 30% of them file for bankruptcy. I've read stories, i got to believe you have as well, of famous people, famous singers, famous sports players who literally, compared to us, had it all and lost it. Or had it all and came to some point in their life when they finally said to somebody, I'm still missing something in here. I thought if I finally got that contract, if I finally got that record deal, if I finally got that TV show, and everybody knew my name, and, and then they'll tell their story later if they're willing to do that, and honestly, so many of them will say, I thought it would, and it didn't. And deep down inside, I still have this hole in my soul that I can't answer. And hopefully somebody has shared Jesus with them because that's the only thing that's going to fill that. One of the most well-known Old Testament characters is King Solomon. This guy literally did have it all. As a matter of fact, he said, anything my eyes saw, I could acquire. 
Now, it's one thing for her to say, I like that because I saw it. It's another thing. You literally could acquire whatever you saw. No limits, no barriers, no boundaries. He literally had it all. Near the end of his life, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he said it was like the chasing after the wind. I felt like I was trying to harness the wind with a butterfly net, and it never really satisfied. He said, you know what I have found? And this is a guy who literally did have it all. He said, I found out it didn't do it. It didn't satisfy. You know what I've learned? Love God, keep his commandments. That's what I've learned. Brendan Manning is one of my favorite authors. He, in the beginning of The Lion and the Lamb, said, I thought if I could just get out of the Marines, I've got my contract, I could have it all. And all of a sudden I thought, what if I really did get it all? Would that really satisfy what I was looking for? And that moment launched him on a 25-year search for Christ until he found it. We're in Philippians chapter 3. One of the most powerful, profound, and for some of us, some of the most quoted sections of Scripture in all the New Testament. Philippians chapter 3. We've got some insights into the Apostle Paul, but more than just looking into Paul's life, God says, hey, Community Alliance, I've got a gift for you. I'm going to talk about Paul's story, and I'm going to tell it to Paul, and my spirit is whispering into his ear, and he's going to write it down, and he's going to identify it because it's also his story. But I've got a gift for you. I'm going to tell you right now what's really important in life, just so you know. I'm telling you what's most valuable in life. I want you to know that. I don't want you to search all of your life and find out that it's empty at the end like Solomon did. So I'm going to tell you right now what's the most valuable thing in life, what has the greatest value, what will give you the greatest satisfaction, and it's in Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd rather know that sooner than later, wouldn't you? I mean, I'd rather know that now. We've only got one shot at this life. We do not believe in reincarnation. I get to go back or come back as somebody else or something else. We've got one shot at this. And if I were me and I were you, I'd want to know now what I really am going to seek after that's going to give me ultimate satisfaction. And so God said 2,000 years ago, got a gift for you. I'm going to tell you right now what it is. I'm going to use Paul as the example, but I'm going to tell you right now what it is. He found an amazing freedom that came from knowing that my pursuit is a relationship with Christ. It's not about performance. It's not about keeping the law. It's not about trying to be my best. But I have found ultimate satisfaction and amazing freedom in a passionate pursuit of the living God. Now Paul could say, now instead of chasing after all of those things, I want to know Christ. And you know what's even more amazing about that? He wants to know me. He wants to know you. There is no other religion on the planet that offers that. Islam doesn't. Buddhism doesn't. Zen Buddhism doesn't. All of them are a search to try to somehow get God's attention. I'll cut myself. I'll do all performances. I'll sacrifice things so that somehow God would at least know I exist. And God says, even while you were still sinning, I sent my son to die for you. God said, I love you so much, I will pursue you even though right now you're not pursuing me. That's incredible. So it characterizes us. That's what makes us different from every other religion in the world. Paul said, I want to know Christ, but even what's more incredible, he wants to know me. That's unreal. 
This is on, right? It's on now? Okay. So you, you, it is real? Okay. Isn't that incredible? That God wants to know you? I don't even have enough time to get to know all of you. But the God of the universe wants to know you personally and intimately. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, Though I myself, he's addressing the fact that a lot of people have a lot of confidence in a lot of things. I've got, I've got the same. Matter of fact, if someone else thinks they have more reasons to put confidence in the flesh, himself, I got more. I circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In regard to the law, as a Pharisee, as for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. I had it down pat. But whatever was gained to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything at loss because of the surpassing worth or value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. And I consider them, to be honest with you, garbage. That I can gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that's what comes through faith in Jesus. The righteousness that comes from faith in God, on the basis solely of faith, not my performance or what I've done. I want to know Christ. Yep, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to participate in his suffering. I want to become like him in death so that somehow I can attain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already done it or have already arrived at my goal, but I'm telling you, I press on to take hold of that word which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, he's talking to us all now. I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but I'm telling you what I do, this one thing. I forget what's behind. I strain forward to what's ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And for the rest of us who are mature, we take a view of such things. And if some of you think differently, if some of you don't agree with me, God will show you. What are you saying? And if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. If you want to really know someone, you're going to have to do what? Spend time with them. You're going to have to have conversations with them. You're going to have to listen to them. You're going to want to know what makes them tick and where they've come from and what maybe their background is. If you really want to know someone, you're going to have to spend some time getting to know them. Let me ask you a question. You're going to have to answer these, all right? Not out loud. How many of you have been married more than 10 years? Raise your hand. Been married more than 10 years, all right? I'm going to ask you these questions, and just in a real quick response, first thing that comes to your mind, question, what is your mate's favorite color? Write it down. Write it down. What is your mate's favorite vacation spot? Favorite restaurant? Favorite meal? Favorite sport? Favorite sports team? Steelers, right? Now, I know I said them quickly, and I get that. But if you were to look over your mate's shoulder, did they get them right? Yeah. <laughs> How many of you got them right? I know that. I know what those things are. How did you get to know that? You spend time with them. It's way beyond. The, remember those original dates when you started dating? Where do you want to go for dinner? I don't care. Where would you like to go? It doesn't really matter. What kind of food do you like? It doesn't matter. Well, what do you want to do? I don't care. Whatever makes you happy, well, whatever makes you happy makes me happy. So you sit around the parking lot till Jesus comes back trying to figure out where you're going to go. Right? Hopefully after 10 years, you're not still asking the same questions with the same answers. You know what they like. You know where they like to go. 
You know what their favorite things are. You know what their favorite vacation spot is. How do you know that? You spent time with them. You wanted to know. You wanted to learn. This is who I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. I want to get to know you. I want to know what's, uh, what, what your favorite things are. I want to know a lot about you. Because I'm going to spend the rest of my life with you. And I want to make sure that we have an amazing relationship. Built on knowledge and growing in that relationship. And it doesn't mean you mastered it. I, I love Paul's honesty. I'm not there yet. All right. I'll be honest with you. 45 years we celebrated this summer. Every once in a while I still have to say to her, am I to listen to this or fix it? I need to know. <laughs> Any of you been there? Okay. Okay. Because we men, we're fixers, right? We're supposed to fix it. I don't want you to fix it. I want you to listen. And when I mean listen, I mean hear it all. <laughs> you know what that means, right? Because we want to get to the bottom line. They want to tell us the story. I want to know the what, they want to tell me the why. Oh, never mind, that's a whole Mary's class. <laughs> In verses 10 and 11, Paul said, I, I want to know Christ. I really want to know Christ. I want to be like Jesus, so if indeed that's my goal, this is what I do. I want to find out what's important to him, because that's what I'd like to do. I want to know what hurts him, because I want that to impact I can't even imagine how much God was hurt last Saturday when so many innocent people's lives were taken in the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. And so on Thursday night, I joined with hundreds, and I was so proud of Butler on Thursday night because literally hundreds gathered at the Jewish Synagogue downtown here in Butler. I mean, standing room only people who had no idea who any of them were, who probably had never been in a Jewish synagogue in all of their life, who just wanted to say, I'm so sorry. I hurt for you. I, I want to be a servant like Jesus. If, if I can find out what he likes and what he delights in, I want to do some of those things. I want to know what brings Jesus joy, because I'd love to do that. I want to be obedient. I, I really, I, I really want to get to the point where I trust God, even though I don't quite understand what he's doing. I want to get to the point where I trust God even when I don't quite understand what he's doing. Because Jesus on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane said, God, is there any other way? No, okay, I trust you. I'll, I'll go to the cross. I want to get to the point where I believe that I trust in God even when I don't understand what he's doing. I want to forgive like him. I mean, how did he do that? I, I, want, to, I want to get there. I, I want to know him. I really want to know him. What I love about Paul is that he's honest enough to say, I'm not there yet. I am a work in progress. And so am I. And probably so are most of you. You ever been around anyone who makes you think they have it all together? And you just want to say to them, no, you don't. I love Paul's honesty here. I am as honest as I know how to be on a Sunday morning. I do not always have my act together. Does that surprise any of you? No, you've been here 23 years with me. Paul, I love the fact that Paul said, look, verse 12, I haven't, already, I haven't gotten there yet. And I'm not perfect, but I'm telling you, I'm moving on. I, I'm taking hold. I'm pressing on. 
I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it, but I'm telling you, I forget what's behind, and I move forward to what's ahead. If indeed I want to know Christ, then this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to press on. It's not something I say I want to do. It's not something I'm just talking about to impress you on a Sunday morning. It is something I will then pursue. That's what he means by I'm pressing on. And the reason he presses on, because he found out what's really important in life. He found the secret, and we'll share it in a few weeks. He found the secret to contentment. I mean, good night. Everybody wants to know that. He found out what's really valuable in life, what's most precious in life. He said, I found out that the greatest thing of all is to know Jesus. Everything else fits under the, underneath that. Jesus said that as he began his ministry. Seek God. With all you've got, everything else comes underneath that. And when you do seek him, all the other things seems to figure out where it needs to go. Paul said, I know that now. Pressing on is an athletic term in your notes. It means work. It means effort. I have verses in there for you, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you not know that all the runners in a race run, but only one gets the prize? So run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in a game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that won't last. But we do it for a crown that lasts forever. I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I, I don't fight like a man beating the air. I beat my body. I make it a slave so that after I preach to others, I myself wouldn't be disqualified for the prize. You know, the last thing I'd want to do after 41 years of ministry is to snow you. So now that I, I, I want to do the same as what I'm asking you to do. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, I discipline my body. I found the most valuable thing in life more than anything else. I want to know him because that's what I want. This is what I do. I move on. Because you will always, you will always go after what you want in life. You may not always get it, but you will try. You will always go after what you want in life. Now, if I'm going to run a race well, then I've got to also deal with what lies behind. If we're really honest, and I'm never going to ask you to raise your hand, but a lot of us in this room have something that needs to lie behind. Right? Something in our past that every once in a while can sometimes hold us back. Could be a sin, could be a deep wound, could be a failure, could even be a success that hasn't happened in a while and you get that good old... Day syndrome. And then when you really do try to press on and move ahead, you've got the enemy of your soul, Satan himself, who comes at you and says, I know what they don't know. You know, there's people beside you, they don't know what I know. So don't pretend that you've got it all together. Don't pretend like you're pursuing God. Don't sing like you're really in love with Jesus. Because I know what they don't know. Matter of fact, I'll make a way to, for them to find out. Right? I mean, every once in a while you feel like that. I, I just want to move on and then I, I try or I just simply fail. A sin or that past or whatever it is holds me back and, or that wound that I just somehow can't get over. Paul had all of that and then some. He realized that he had to come to a point in his life where he couldn't let his failures or his successes hold him back. Remember last week when I said everybody's got a story? Everybody has a story. And some people, their past story holds them back from moving ahead. 
Could be their past failures or it could be their past glory days. Either one will keep you from enjoying the present. We always think of failures holding us back. But sometimes if we're not careful, success can as well hold us back, especially if it was in the past and we haven't seen it in a while. What I call the glory days. You ever have anybody in your life who was always saying, I remember when. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, I remember, boy, it was great then, and I remember when, and the list is endless of I remember whens. But somehow they're stuck way back here. It's not necessarily failures. It may be some really great things. But they can't get into today. They're still living in the past. They're still living off yesterday's victories instead of enjoying today's amazing grace. In your notes is an incredibly powerful phrase that I'm saying twice. One challenge in this text is that you and I have to do the work that we need to do to leave behind what lies behind. And maybe for some of us today, that pressing on or pursuing looks like that. I don't think forget what lies behind. In Paul's case, he says, I forget what lies behind. I honestly do not believe he means deny it, ignore it, bury it, or pretend like it didn't happen. We've all had issues of that in the radio, television over the last number of months and couple years. Paul does not mean when he says forget what lies behind, deny what lies behind, ignore what lies behind, bury what lies behind, pretend that it never happened. Paul didn't forget his past. What I honestly think he means is do the work that's necessary to leave behind what lies behind. And for many people that takes work and for some a lot of work. Sometimes it takes counseling. We have been overwhelmingly blessed here at Community Alliance Church. We have a counselor here that meets in the green room in the back every single day of the week, two nights a week. All from Christian Counseling Collaborative, some of the best they have out of the 14 or 18 people they have come here every single day of the week. Different ones every day. We're unbelievably blessed when we partnered with them years ago. And so we've got counselors to help you leave behind what lies behind. And, and we believe in that so much, and we believe that step is so critical that sometimes we even have a deacon's fund that will help you financially if you can't do it on your own. We are here to help you leave behind what lies behind. And in many cases, that takes some tough, long, ongoing therapy. Sometimes it takes repentance. Sometimes it takes honest confession to say, this is what I did. This is what I've done. I've kept it quiet, I've kept it still, I've lied about it. I can't, I can't move ahead, I can't get ahead, I can't get beyond this because I've never ever unloaded it, I've never shared it. Sometimes it takes an apology. But to move on, it really needs to be done. And let me say this with as much love and compassion and tenderness as I have. Once you do what's necessary, counseling, repentance, confession, apology, confrontation, then for heaven's sake, move on. For heaven's sake, for your sake, for your family's sake, for your spouse's sake, move on. Some people carry their past with them everywhere they go and they like that. Their identity is found in that. It's not denying it, ignoring it. It's not acting like it doesn't exist. I'm just telling 
as much as I know how to lovingly say, once you do the works necessary, or will help you do the works necessary, you got to move on for everybody's sake, and more importantly, for yours. That may mean nothing to any of you in the room, but if you've got a friend that you know needs to hear what we're saying this morning, Butler CAC, it'll be online in an hour, and it's live on Facebook now, and obviously it will be on later, that you can access, I don't have Facebook, but many of you do, that you can access it later and say, look, I love you. I love you so much. Would you listen to this with me, and I'll help you move on. Paul uses that athletic imagery here in 1 Corinthians 9, Hebrews 12. No discipline at the time seems pleasant. Nobody said, okay, beat me up, will you, a little bit? Even in a sermon. It doesn't seem that way. It's painful. But later on, we understand how valuable it is if we're willing to let it do its work. Disciplines may be prayer, solitude, counseling, whatever's necessary. We talk a lot about God's amazing grace, and it's incredible and wonderful. But to grow in that grace takes discipline, and discipline in your notes is a matter of the heart because what I'm disciplined in reveals what I care about. It reveals what's really in your notes important to me. What I'm disciplined in reveals what I really love. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, look, where your treasure is, your heart's going to follow. I'm telling you right now. Paul said, I found the greatest treasure in life. That's to know Christ. And because of that, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to get better. Not so that I feel good about myself or make myself look good in front of other people. Jesus confronted that constantly. But I've discovered amazing grace. And I found that's more valuable than anything else. And because I know now that's more valuable, this is what I do. I'm not there yet, but I'm telling you, I am moving on. More than anything else in life, verse 9, I want to be found in him. I want my value to come from him. I want my security to come from him. Not in stuff, not in people. I want it to come from him. I thought my confidence would come in a lot of things. He describes those things in those first few verses. But now he says, I found my value and confidence comes from him. If God has blessed you with wealth, talent, abilities, great kids, promotions, good things, enjoy them. Nothing wrong with that at all. Your kids are perfect. God bless you. Oh, they're not? Enjoy it. Enjoy all that God has given you. Do your absolute best at what God gifted you at. Paul just said, I have come to the point where I'm not finding my value in those things. My righteousness stunk. Now I've learned the greatest treasure of all is knowing Christ and I'm going to go after that with all I have, and I'm going to find my security in him. In your notes is one of the most powerful phrases in it. It comes from verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Christ Jesus took hold of me. You, you know what that means? No matter what happens, he will never, ever, ever let you go. Never. He said, I've come to realize that neither life nor death nor powers nor angels nor demons nor present nor future or depth, height, nothing else in all of creation will ever, ever separate me from the love of God. That is incredible. That's why Paul pursued this with everything he had. That's why Peter, who denied Jesus, denied Jesus, 
who in John chapter 21, after Jesus resurrected from the dead, sitting at a campfire at a lakeside somewhere, and John, or Peter happened to see who it was, jumped out of the boat, ran across that water, and embraced Jesus. You know why? Because he knew that's where he could find life and his value. And he knew that's who would receive him and accept him no matter what he had done. One of my favorite verses is in Isaiah 49. Where God says, see, I've engraved you on the palm of my hands. So when we celebrate the resurrection, we celebrate communion, and we talk about what Jesus did for us on the cross, and that in John, he retained his wounds. It's a fascinating parallel between what he says in the Old Testament. I've written your name right here on the palm of my hand, and I allowed it to be nailed to the cross. How much I loved you. That's how much I loved you. So my question to you, maybe isn't even a question that's in your notes that's already there, but is there anything that holds you back from a passionate pursuit of the living God who wants it with you and I so much that he calls you and I his sons and daughters? Is there anything that holds you back from pursuing that kind of relationship with a God who is so crazy about you and I, they would call us his sons and daughters. Watch this video. Who do you say that I am? When I think of myself, I know exactly what you see. Every flaw, every blemish, the scars of my hurts and my mistakes, the things I've done to myself, the things that have been said and done to me, that's who I am. You see a mother, daughter, sister and aunt you see the scarce shadow of a woman's potential irreversibly wrapped in failure but then i hear it that still small voice who told you that who told you that you are defined by your mistakes who told you that you are ugly broken? Who told you that you are only measured by what you give others? Who told you that brokenness and frailty are what you carry? Haven't you heard? You are not what everyone says you are. You are who God says you are, and you are His. He says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He says you are a perfect design, made for a purpose, made for a destiny, and you are never alone. He says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He goes before you. He goes behind you. He says you are bold. He says you are brilliant. He says you are brave. He says greater is he that is in you. hand-painted by the master himself. You are who God says 
you are. You believe that? Stand with me. We've got elders and deacons here this morning and uh, pastors, if you would come here and stand just for a few moments at the front. Do not let your past or your success, your failures or good things hold you back from being everything that God asked you to be. And if you need to pray with somebody this morning, you need to talk to somebody about that, do not leave this place without doing that. If you have family experience 10 minutes from now, so you've got time to be able to talk to somebody here and then get your kids and go back there and enjoy that experience together so you grow as a family. But do not leave today without that, whether it be your past, whether it be your success. Don't be defined by that. Be defined as a child of God who loves you and I like crazy. Well, I pray you come. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to unpack your word. It is so powerful. I can't even imagine that you would have preserved it this long so that here we are 2,000 years later after it was written, be able to find freedom and grace and love in you. And hear your word, hear you speaking to us by the power of your word, just like you spoke to Paul. And to say you're loved, you're cared for. I want you to move on. I want to help you. I want you to grow. I want you to know Christ. I want you to know me more than anything else in life. I want you to find your value and your security from those things. I love you that much. Find it in me. Thank you for that kind of love that we truly can sing. Yes, I am. I'm a child of God. I'm not defined by all those other things. I'm going to look for my security from all of that. For His still voice who says, I am Thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have an amazing day. Please, again, if we can pray for you, we'd love to do that this morning.